As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, you're looking on to Wake up, America! It's time for the adventures of Hype Man on W4CY.com, West Palm Beach's number one internet radio station. Here's your host, the Hype Man. Wake up with a smile on your face Cause today you can run from your place This is the Pipe Man here on the Adventures of Pipe Man W4CY Radio and I'm here with our next guest who really doesn't need an introduction because he's been in the business I think longer than the business. <laughs> so, uh, but... What an amazing, amazing, creative person that has done so much that we're going to talk about. Let's welcome to the show, Randy Edelman. How are you? I'm good. Good to be here. Good to have you. So I want to start off with, how did it all start? And I don't mean like, you know, how did you get into business? I mean, what was that moment where you realized that this is what your lifelong passion was going to be? Okay, I didn't. That didn't happen. <laughs> there wasn't a moment for, and I I never got in the business. I I got in the business when I was a young kid, and I gravitated toward going to the piano and picking out melodies from things I would hear on the television or the radio. That that's when it started. Uh, it, as far as getting into the business, that that's a that's a long long story uh i've done many different things uh happily i never uh knew exactly where i was going what it was about is writing and creating music whether it was no matter what it was for but at the beginning i didn't know whether i was going to be as far as film composing that i had no idea about i was basically a 
uh, a classical musician since I was a young kid. Uh, but when, when I was a kid, you know, the, the thing you had to do is you had to play sports. Music was not cool, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that became cool a little later. But, um, so I did everything like everybody else did. And I always had this little thing that I could do. And to be honest with you, Dean, the, the thing that was in my head that I had in my little brain as life was going on. And I, I, I had no connection to music or certainly show business or anything like that, especially in my family, everybody it's very kind of straight existence was the idea. It was like a very romantic idea, a very simple one that possibly I could sit behind a piano and write original things for my whole life and never have a job. And guess what? It all happened. Here <laughs> we are. Long story. That little kernel when you said, when was the moment? There was an exact moment. It was just a thing that kind of evolved. So I, you know, did different things. I went away to school. I was in pre-med, but then one day, you know, the, the thing was, um, uh, th there's always, you know, all good stories have one thing. They're always about one thing, which is a girl. You know what I mean? Oh, Every yeah. good story is about a girl. So, you know, I realized there were these rock and roll bands. And I, by the way, I never, I was never a group person. I never had a group. I was never interested in working with anybody. I was like a solo person, you know, and that's how it stayed. Even though I work with millions of musicians and people doing whatever I'm doing. I, I write it, do it myself. I'm not a collaborative uh, composer. I, I have to collaborate with people in, in film or in television or when I make albums. But as far as the writing of it, it's always myself. So, you know, it was like, okay, there's these rock and roll bands. Looks pretty good to me. And how am I going to meet that girl? And so I, it, you know, one thing led to another. And I, I, I told this, this one singer that I was a songwriter and I, I had a song for, her. well, I, I wasn't a songwriter. <laughs> I didn't have any, you know, but anyway, I eventually did that. And what would bring kids from the music conservatory into play on these little records that I was uh, kind of doing. And, you know, so eventually I guess I became a songwriter and I'm just saying I wasn't doing a couple of these probably horrible little tunes that I wrote. And, um, uh, eventually uh, we would record in a little garbage dump, uh, that had a name was called King records, but on King records was somebody by the name of James Brown, who saw me like conducting an orchestra when I was about 15 or 16. And, you know, they started calling me to do things because they realized there's this kid who can write, you know, for strings and horns and stuff like that. And that was something that kind of, changed what I was doing. It's not like I suddenly uh, saw my future, but it was just something that I, I was always able to, if an opportunity come up, came up regarding creating something regarding music, that I always was sort of able to quickly adapt myself to whatever area that was. So, you know, I went to New York and I started doing different things and, uh, you know, Pretty quickly, uh, things came up, and suddenly I was like in the business, you know. <laughs> and and that's that's how it started. I mean, I was playing in the pit of Broadway shows, 
and uh, was musical director for a lot of singers. Uh, but I was a kid. I mean, I was very young. And um, there was, that was the time, uh, I, I would call it the age of something changed in the music business. And to make a long story short, the old music business where somebody, and this is all obviously pre anything regarding film scoring or anything. Uh, the old days of the music business, there was a, somebody called a music publisher. A music publisher took a song to a record producer who worked at a record label and had different artists that were signed to the label that they produced. So that whole thing, the music publisher takes a song to the producer, a producer likes a song for a certain artists, blah, blah, blah. That all changed, obviously, because 99% of the people that were selling records wrote and produced their own records, whether it was the Beatles or Bob Dylan or James Taylor or Carol King, where, you know, the business changed. So the reason I'm telling you this, and I'll circle back to my main point, was I was sort of heard, I sort of heard these, these albums that I liked because they had uh, – you know, uh, really good arrangements and orchestrations on. And I was out on the road doing conducting for people and stuff. And I said, you know what? I, I can do that. I can do that. So I quickly signed that in those days, if you could carry a tune and write a d decent melody, uh, you could get a record deal that may be overstating it, hmm. but you know, a bit, but that's sort of how it was. That's how I did my first album. Just that quick, put a bunch of songs together went in, signed a, like a hundred page form contract thinking, well, you have nothing to lose. You'll do this thing. Probably nobody will hear it or buy it. And then you'll move on to something else, which has always been, uh, my attitude, you know, that, that, you know, maybe there are complications, but if you want to do something and you're accused about it, go do it anyway. It doesn't matter how you do it. Just can you put across your, um, your passion or whether it's a song or a piece or whatever it is. So blah, blah, blah. That started, you know, a whole thing, but, uh, you can tell just by what I'm telling you, there was no plan for me to be an artist, a singer songwriter. I was doing it because, uh, if you were a songwriter, then you, everybody selling records wrote your own songs. So you better do your own songs or you had like a one in a billion chance of getting an, a person to do your song. Only very few were selling records who didn't write their own material. And, um, my first thing that happened was the album that I did, uh, that I just said that I literally signed this form contract just as I thought nothing happened. However, there were a few people who were recording outside songs that were really hot. And one of them was a young, young, literally my age, brother and sister, originally from Connecticut, who went out to California. And um, that was Karen and Richard Carpenter, the Carpenters. Wow. And they heard this album of mine, and boom, they, they recorded a song. So I didn't realize how incredible, I mean, the song for my album... I didn't realize at the time, I knew it was great, but I just didn't realize, and looking back at something like that, it was like, my God, the odds of something like that happening from an album that nobody really knew were, you know, pretty remote. And so they recorded my stuff and also took me out on tour as, if you believe this, their opening act. Wow. Now, I hadn't sung in the shower 
or for my mother, <laughs> let alone being thrown out for the first time in front of 15,000 people. Never had done anything, not one thing. And having to do 45 minutes. You know how long 45 minutes is? That's forever in that world. <laughs> right. So I could go on and tell you great stories about that. But I'm, I'm trying to give you, you know, these things didn't happen overnight. But there are always little twists and turns. And, and no matter how brilliant you are and talented and how hard you've worked, and believe me, I've worked my, my head off my whole life. I mean, it's always frustration. But you also need, you know, there has to be a little luck when you get that kind of opportunity. So that began me on this kind of album, singer-songwriter. You know, I suddenly became a recording artist. Now I was writing my own songs, doing my own arrangements. I was doing, being a musician. And um, that went on for a lot longer and I had first thought when I did that first album and said, okay, if it doesn't sell, there's nobody going to give you a shot again. And you'll move on to being an orchestra, whatever you planned to do before. But it just turned out different things happened. And I did that for a long stretch of time. Uh, luckily, I started when I was very young. And I, along the way, I was interested musically in other things and uh, got involved with some other areas, including doing some small uh, TV films that they used to have thing, things called like the uh, te television movies. They still have them now, but it was different then. There was like a 90-minute movie a week stuff and a couple of interesting films that I did. But I also learned that that was really serious hard work. You know, writing songs and doing albums was much more fun. So I stuck with that. And, um, you know, just a lot of stuff happened. And many different different kinds of artists uh, recorded my songs, Every all kinds of people. Uh, even though the albums, except for, uh, for some reason, in, in uh, England, in London, w started to be successful. I mean, my own albums with me you know, singing the songs. And, um, you know, uh, after a certain period of time, I always kind of was looking to do, as I said, musical things. Cause basically I, I, uh, always just considered myself a, uh, a musician and really wanted to be good at all the different, uh, facets of that, uh, whether it was orchestrating or performing or, uh, conducting or whatever I was doing. So I kept that stuff up and was looking to do a little more than just writing the quote, uh, three or four minute commercial hooky song. Uh, and that's what, uh, all these things when you, it's very difficult to change. You can't just say, Oh, I've done all these things and I've had some hit songs and now I want to score films. It, it doesn't happen like that. You have to kind of, steer the ship uh and it takes a while so gradually i started doing some other things and eventually something you know something happened and after doing various things working on like a tv series called macgyver that i did the pilot for and wrote the theme and figured that was gonna they didn't like it and <laughs> i mean they liked what i did but they didn't like the show <laughs> but it 
it went on, was picked up by a network, and they liked the guy in it. And meanwhile, the thing, it's, it went on, it's still going on, you know. Um, but that was an interesting experience because I really didn't like it. I had to write too much music too quickly. Wow. I, I, I liked having a little time. So I kind of said, okay, you're, you're not going to be into this. And within three years, I was the busiest film composer in the world. It, it was like I wasn't going to do that anymore. I was going to kind of do my own thing. And then, um, uh, you know, a, a few uh, things happened. And one uh, was a connection with a guy named Ivan Reitman. You know Ivan Reitman, the producer of yeah. Animal House, the director of Meatballs and Stripes and Ghostbusters. And he was doing a movie called Twins with uh, Schwarzenegger and right. a guy named Danny DeVito. I like that and movie. I was bought in on that at the last minute because they had a a problem and... That was the kind of connection that really got me into the serious film scoring world. Even though it went way beyond that, I suddenly did Kindergarten Cop for Ivan and Ghostbusters 2. And all of a sudden, I was like the, uh, I guess you would call me, in, I was the comedy king in yeah. Hollywood. I would do those big, because those were kind of big concept comedies you know they weren't little things yeah. but then i do a little film like called my cousin Vinny, and a little film called the mask with jim carrey and a film called while you were sleeping with sandra bullock and adam sandler's first film billy madison these were like these nerd con they were right. they were different uh at the time especially when we did them yeah never even thought you're you see these films you're doing? Twenty five years from now, they're cla they're going to be classics. I never, I just did them, you know. But they, those things. So that was that area. And then um, after I was doing that, I was uh, just getting back to the steering your ship concept. I never thought that I was particularly funny, and certainly what I wrote wasn't funny. And if you listen to the music and the scores of those films. You could listen to certain, you never know that the music is for a comedy because comedies have action and they have drama and romance as well as sometimes fun stuff. So I had to make a serious effort to steer my thing to start doing, uh, quote, more serious fare, so to speak. And that's easy to say, but it's not easy to do. And that's. After that, that's when I did Gettysburg for Ted Turner and uh, The Last of the Mohicans for Michael Mann and uh, Come See the Paradise with Alan Parker and got my my thing really going, the film scoring thing in a more, shall we say, serious, uh, down a serious, uh, more serious avenue. And um, then when, once I got into that, I just even, didn't even have any chance or time or interest to be honest with you to write songs anymore i was scoring films and writing songs are two completely different animals you know with different disciplines and uh, talents involved and background and musical chops and so you know that that that's a little that's making even though that sounded like a long story i'm i'm shortening everything to say that's you know that's what happened with me along the way to the, on this journey that crazily enough, I'm still on, <laughs> it's, you know, including it's wild. 
one of the reasons we're talking, and because I have to mention this, and then I'm going to let you talk, <laughs> is though I didn't write songs all those years, uh, and people would say, well, gee, how come you didn't write a, you did the score to that film, how come you didn't write a, a song? That, that wasn't, first of all, they don't use songs in films anymore. Songs and films are finished records that somebody throws in in a montage or an end credit. Um, but there's no longer the days when you write a theme and then, you know, you write Moon River, you, you write a lyric to the theme. So I had no interest in, um, in doing that. But during last year, uh, although I, I was, it's not that I was just locked down here. Uh, I was doing lots of stuff, but I started fooling around. And one of the things that I came up with was this tune. It, it's not really about the COVID it's a, it's actually a very fun thing uh, about, you know, when this is going to be over and everybody's going to be let out, we're going to put on our fancy suit and grab our coat and, you know, a fun, a fun idea. And I started messing around in my studio a few, uh, in the back here and I kind of liked it. So I went ahead and finished, I played all the instruments and I sang, which I hadn't in years and uh, didn't think too much about it and didn't really know. Well, I had no concept of playing it for somebody, uh, but eventually I did, and it turned into something, and that's one of the, that's the reason that's the focal point of why we're supposed to be talking now, even though I haven't mentioned it, but I'm mentioning it now. And uh, happily, it's, it's out, and people really love it, and it's, uh, it's fun, and I'm enjoying uh everything that's going on as a result of that so that's kind of something that is something different from what i've been doing it's more of a throwback to what i did you know years ago before all the film scoring but it's just what it is it's just part of my uh musical life you know it entails many many uh, different kinds of things and that's what i like and i like being uh kind of challenged and changing course uh, as you may gather, every every so often, I veer off in another direction so that life and my musical life and my creativity doesn't become boring. Yeah, keeps it interesting. That's where I am, Dean. Keeps it interesting. I love it. And I want to focus on a couple of things that you said and then go back to what you're doing now. But, it, it, you know, you're telling this whole story, and it was it was great because— there's somebody that played in my high school gymnasium in this band. It was a punk rock band, new wave punk rock back in the 80s. And this band played. And it's funny because I talk about now and people don't even know. And he is the lead singer of that band is now a pretty big composer for like The Simpsons and Batman and stuff like that. And you and you probably know who he is. And a lot of people don't realize. And I was always wondering, like, how did he go from being a punk rock singer to composing for movies and TV? Are you TV? talking about Danny? Yep, <laughs> I sure am. Oh, okay, but but he didn't. Okay, no, no, but he he didn't do that. He he yes, yeah. He uh, well, he was more than a punk rock singer. He was a musician, not not maybe a quote trained musician. Right. He was a great musician in a band called Oingo Boingo. Yep. That was basically his brother's band, I guess, and. But there was a key there. There was a key there. You see, everybody has the key. What was his key? His key was that there was this guy. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. A little guy in the animation department at Disney making doing little shorts who was a fan of that band. And he did a little ah. short that no one ever saw. And he, when the, one day, he changed the guy you're talking about his life. He must have picked up the phone and said, I did this thing and I'm making a movie. And I want you, who have never done anything, as far as film scoring to score it. It was called Pee-wee's Adventure. I and remember. it was Danny Elfman. Wow. And what happened was that, like I said before, you always have to be, Danny Elfman and this guy were on the same wavelength, and Danny Elfman turned out to be fucking brilliant. Yeah. His background may be different. He may come from a different place. Well, guess what? He had a head and imagination that was out there and out there with this guy named Tim Burton. Yep. And there's the whole story. There, right there. I love before it. Before Batman, before this great stuff. So the two of them went on a journey together and are still on the journey and went their separate ways and back together. But the, the point is that he, he had something and he connected. Had they may not that, made that connection, well, God knows what 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 Danny he may be doing something else, but that was a an incredible thing, and it's it's one of those creative partnerships that are very infrequent, not at all. I mean, you may say that's sort of like John Williams and, and Steven Spielberg. Yeah, those relationships and as film composers come few and far between. But look at the the difference in those people and their what they do. However. Uh, the fact that one may not read and write music takes absolutely nothing away from their musical brilliance. They just come at it from wherever they were coming from. Yeah. You know, so, so that's, yeah, that, like I said, it, it, it not, and not taking anything away from the guy in the eighties who was singing in your high school, whatever it was. Well, it was uh, Oingo, yeah, Boingo, that, Oingo Boingo, yeah. played Oingo Boingo played at that my high school. Have, they played at the gymnasium at my high school for an assembly. Like, and then I saw them yeah. with the police a few years later. But I would have never imagined sitting in high school and watching this band that he would become who he became. Oh yeah, well because you can't you can't chart a, a course like that. No, you, know, you just it. But it took if that thing didn't happen with the guy who he had no concept or knew. It, 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 some talented guy 
working at 19 or 20 years old in the Disney animation department, not even doing the big Disney films, just doing whatever he was doing, uh, this wouldn't have happened. Wow. You I know? love that Something story. else may have happened, and something great may have happened, but not like, like this. And the a key to Danny's stuff is the other guy in Oingo Boingo, not his brother, whose band it was, Steve Bartak. Steve Bartak is the, was the piano player who wrote all this music down that wow. Danny did and works and still works. You know, there, there, there's always, um, especially with some of the fantastic, interesting work they've done, you know, there's always tremendous uh, a work ethic and a discipline in that kind of stuff. And the end result is you have something that was very new, which you don't get in the world of film music. Everybody's writing in very old-fashioned idioms, and they still are, because they don't make really original films, you know? They, everything's sort of a rehash of something else. Anyway, uh, so that's just to take off uh, your little story. That's a, It's a great story, but it, it involves, there's got to be that incredible, magical link, and there was. See, I'm so glad I brought that up because I didn't know that whole link and that whole story, and that that right there amazes me. Yeah, you 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 went to see that little Pee Wee movie, or not little, whatever it was, <laughs> and you heard something, something like, "Whoa, that's over the top. That's like out there. That's like what it is. It's not like what you've been hearing in film music. Good wow. for them. Good for him." Good for Danny. And that's what happened. And he just went on and did better things and great things and, and still is. So, you know, that's what there everybody, everybody's got their little, uh, you know, there's not that many people when you're, where are you, by the way, now? I'm in South Florida. I'm originally from New York, New Jersey oh, you're and South LA. Okay. Well, I was going to, yeah, I was going to say, you know, I'm sitting here in the heart of Beverly Hills, you know, and out here around Hollywood, it's like, People are like, you'll run into someone and they're like, a film composer. Well, you don't run into film composers, and there's a handful of them in the whole <laughs> world. But, so, what, you know, there's just not that many people around that, that are, that can kind of um, shape things. And um, so, that's, uh, there it that's is. a story. There it is. I love that's it. That's a story. One of many. I'm sure you have a whole ton of stories for sure. And, uh, it's oh, I have, uh, you don't even want to get into it. Any one of them will take us uh, <laughs> days and weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, what a great story is, is the fact that in 2021, right now, at long last, Sony Masterworks is releasing your orchestral score to Ghostbusters 2 in all formats. Now, <laughs> that's, that's just one. Yeah, that's really nuts. That is nuts because you say, "Hold on a second. <laughs> what? What? Why?" And so you know, the long. You want to hear the short version? Go for it. Yeah. Well. Okay. You you say why? Why? I mean, what's what's the reason? Is it there's a new Ghostbusters movie? What does it have to do with my score? Well. I, when Ghostbusters was out and was a huge hit, I, I wasn't in, I wasn't a big, I wasn't a film composer. I was doing other things. And of course, 
the first Ghostbusters uh, movie had a brilliant, brilliant score by Elmer Bernstein. Uh, what do people remember, or people that know about film music, they, they know about that. They remember a song that was put in, not putting down the song or what it said or anything, but it was dropped in at, I guess, sort of, you know, the last minute called Ghostbusters, Ray Parker. So, uh, and that's a, that's another story. We'll get into that. But, um, so the, this, there was this big, huge record and the picture was a huge hit. Well, what happens, Dean, is when people make a movie and it's a big hit and they talk about doing a sequel, everybody wants money. All the people in it, the writers and directors, everybody wants a fortune. So most of the time, sequels are not made. Okay? So here's this picture. comes out, huge picture. Biggest comedy of all times. And for whatever reason, including the one I just mentioned, I wasn't privy to all this, but that was one of them. I found out later. Um, it took five or six years to getting around to making Ghostbusters 2. All the same people, same actors, same writer, same directors, same producers. So it was a really great thing. And that's when the timing came around after I had met Ivan Reitman. And I got the shock of my life, even though I had done stuff for him, when he called me up one day in the middle of some session I was doing. And he said, you know what? Come by. Come by the set. And I said, holy shit, you know, it was the set of Ghostbusters too." So I went by there and he asked me, he said, okay, I'm going to put you in this situation and we're going to do this. And he said a lot of things that you better, <laughs> he scared the shit out of me because it was a kind of big deal. And I hadn't done that much stuff in, in film scoring, but yes, I had a relationship with him. So, um, what happened was we did, I had a huge orchestra, like a hundred people. And we did lots of sessions because he was very, like, really on top of me to make sure everything was cool. And it was. It turned out great. Uh, the film comes out. Uh, oh, so here's what went on. During the five or six years that I'm telling you about, when people, they were going around trying to get the movie made and everybody wanted too much. Just in speaking about the movie, once it was announced that it was going to be made, you can imagine Every R&B artist, group, whoever they were, you name them, every artist wanted to do Ghostbusters song. It wasn't maybe going to be called, cool, you know, they wanted to write that big thing. So by the time, years later, that movie was in the can of the sequel that we did, there were like 50 songs. And what I'm saying is they weren't just songs. They were big-time produced, finished, mixed records. R&B things, obviously. Everybody had done something. Well, it turns out that they, let's say, um, being they cut the 50 songs down to, let's say, 10 songs or 8 songs. So, the movie's done. 99% of the music in the movie is Randy Edelman, my score. They put a little of the original Ghostbusters song, and I think, at the, if I remember at the beginning, and they put all these, let's say, eight songs out of the 50 that they narrowed it down to in the end credit. You know, hmm. that's basically what it was. That when they released the soundtrack, I didn't get to say it was none of my music. It was only the songs. 
you have some amazing, amazing stories and what an amazing career. But it just, what amazes me most of all is here you are in 2021 after a career that spanned like more than my lifetime for sure. And, and uh, you're still doing new stuff. You're just still like, I hope I can be as actively working as, as you when I get to your stage. Well, thank you. I mean, first of all, I can't do anything else. But no, I have more energy now than ever. Nice. And to do different things. So it's like, like it's, have you heard my single? Yes, amazing. And that, that's why I wanted okay, to talk well, about it. Okay, I'm not saying you got to understand. It's not that it's amazing. It's this little kind of poppy, rocky thing. It's not even like my old ballads, like Weekend in New England that I would write for Barry Manilow or all these people. This, it sounds, it, it doesn't sound like an old fucking fart. It sounds cool. I did it all in my backyard myself, and that's what's great about it. It's like a fresh thing, and that's what I like doing. Even though all these years I've, I've tried to be a, quote, serious film composer with all these epics, Gettysburg and Mohegans and all this, this stuff that I've done, I'm, I channel my energy and my musical energy into whatever kind of whatever area it is. So the reason I'm so enthused about it is it's a different thing. It's, it's different than somebody would expect from me, even if forget about all the 30 years of film scores, if they heard any of the dozen or so solo albums that I made before all that, they would think, oh, it's going to be a kind of very warm, melodic thing. And not that it's not, but it ain't. It's something that's fun, and I'm screaming, I'm screaming, I'm, you know, and I did it all I'm, it's a few steps from where I'm sitting now, outside my little, I call it my bunker, my backyard studio. And that's why I'm enthusiastic about it because um, a lot of people like that have heard it that, oh, that doesn't sound like it. What do you mean it doesn't sound like it? So <laughs> I'm playing everything, I'm singing everything I wrote. But uh, that that's what sort of turns me on. And tomorrow I may start a picture, or I will, it's like a horror thing that I'm completely invested in. You know, that, I, that I, I'm involved in that and that's what I found keeps me kind of going in a, going in not in a like painstaking way, going in a very kind of energetic, enthusiastic way to the next day. Um, and and that's what that's what I like to do. And I think hopefully in each thing that I do, you people get that energy, whether it's from that quote little record that you you know that we're talking about coming out the other side, which, by the way, the title should be Hang Your Hat, Put Your Best Suit On. That's really the title, but, of course, nobody would be, oh, no, let's go coming out the <laughs> other side. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. You can't, how could a song be called Hang Your Hat, Take Your Hat, Put Your Best Suit On? That's a great fucking title. <laughs> yes. Not one that's normal, but. Hey, in 2021, it. it doesn't have to be normal, right? We're in different, a different world. And Where we are, we are in a different world. So that, that's what keeps me going. So I have no problem uh, with my, my energy. My energy is like sky fucking high, you know. I love it. And um, 
as long as I keep doing things and creating. Uh, and I don't, you know, I don't used to sometimes you, you I don't pre, I don't judge anything. I only, I only do things that I'm passionate about. There may be a, a serious symphonic or string quartet thing that I would write in a couple of weeks. And I'm really serious about it, but I'm just serious about, um, doing that song. And like, you know what I was doing for the last two days and then we'll get off. Um, a whole area that started for me was sports music. Not that I was writing sports music, but the the big sports people picked up on a lot of my stuff years ago. Yeah. Kind of my big anthemic kinds of stuff. I ended up doing, you know, the NFL and the Olympics and all this stuff. Well, some of the times they would ask me to write something, but most of the time they were using uh, music from my big scores that had a certain emotional triumphant or feel to it. So anyway, now we're about ready to see for NBC and NBC were really the main cogs. Uh, and so they, th these Olympics are going on. I don't know what kind of Olympics they're going to be because people could be, you know, sadly, God, I don't know what's going to go on. However, they're going to go on. And so I was just putting together some cool things that they wanted me to send them of stuff that hasn't been heard that, that aren't well-known scores that I have done. And so I had a blast the last 48 hours putting these things. They actually just picked the stuff up this, this morning because it's going to go on. I mean, I don't know what's going to go on from it, but the thing is starting, I think in a couple of days, they're going to start broadcasting some stuff. And, um, but I got right into it and came up with some stuff, and it my energy was, again, it was uh, very, uh, you know, really in a very uh, high uh, perpetual forward motion uh, when, I, when I put the stuff together and when I wrote some of the stuff. And that's a completely different uh, arena to be in, you know. Absolutely. No... Yeah, that's what's so amazing about your whole career. There's so much diversity to what you've done, and you've accomplished so much. It's amazing. Let's uh, tell everybody how they can reach out to you on the web and anywhere else where they can connect to you. I don't. I'm not a big. Uh, that's one of the, the the people are. That's one of the reasons I. They told me to talk to you. I'm not a media person. I mean, they can find any of my music to listen to. They could go to any film and push it up on YouTube uh, from my my soundtracks are available on everything, whether it's Amazon or whatever. Uh, I have a website, you know, randyedelman.com. And, um, you know, they could, they could find me. My old albums, uh, for instance, I'm really happy because they are hard to find, but there are songs that people love or albums, and all you have to do is just put my name, YouTube, the name of the album or song, and most of the time, it's beautiful. It comes right up. It's it's really a new thing. I didn't actually even discover it till fairly in the scheme of things, fairly recently, and that's really nice because I did all those things. The films, of course, are more current. So if you want to hear a film score or a certain piece of music from Last of the Mohegans or Shanghai Noon, or while you were sleeping, or ever, anything, 
triple uh, X, the Vin Diesel film, you you could get it. But what's hard to do is if anybody, especially the people in Europe who know my uh, my song albums, you could just put the name of the album or a tune there, and most of the time it's great. You just press it on your phone and you listen to it. The quality is great. It's a whole, like you said, it's a whole different world. I don't make any royalties, but who cares? <laughs> well, you know what? You're making memories, and I like that even better. That's right, baby. I've made the memories, and I'm just fine. I'm just fine. Nobody will have to throw me a benefit, Dean. <laughs> there you go. The, the, your whole life is a benefit, so there you go. And uh, yeah. it's a benefit to all of us and your whole career and everything else. So, you know, I'm honored you could be here and do everything that you've done for music, movies, everything. Like, your award list, I can't even read off. We'd need a whole nother interview for that. And uh, just, it, it's amazing what you've accomplished. And I want to thank you for all you do. And uh, I want to thank you for being on the Adventures of Pipe Man. Okay, well, it's been great being on the Adventures of Pipe Man, and I, I thank you for what you just said. It really does mean a lot to me. I mean, it's really, really very gratifying to be to feel that uh, that people have appreciated, you know, a, a, a large body and many years of working, creating. So uh, what this is all doing for me right now, via the interest through this little record I've done, is really giving me a lot in return because people like you will say, we'll, we'll discuss that, but they'll suddenly say, hold on a second, <laughs> let's get back into this and that. And man, I got to tell you, it's great. Yeah. Nothing better than that. So I thank you. Uh, have a great time in Southern Florida. If I come down there, you know, I will uh, get in touch with you. There we go. We'll get together. And uh, yeah, everybody check out. Tribeca Records coming out the other side, the 2021. You got it, baby. All right. We love hey. it. Love your Take music. Care, and love everything you do. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Adventures of Pipe Man on W4CY Radio. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.